in, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Lunch Pail Podcast alongside Mike Nizolik, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times. This is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. Wow, big turnaround for the Hokies this week. This past week, uh, they won 31-14 to over Duke, a ranked Duke team, an undefeated Duke team. Uh, a week after losing to Old Dominion, Virginia Tech gets it done. Mike, your initial thoughts on that game? Yeah, I mean, you know, total uh, total bounce back. Everything kind of – it was like that uh, Old Dominion game never happened. That's kind of what we thought they would do against Old Dominion, uh, just kind of roll through them. And, and Duke had a lot of momentum, uh, uh, you know, coming in 4-0, ranked for the first time in a couple of years um, at home. Um, and really, uh, their starting quarterback was back in the lineup. Uh, he looked healthy. He was, it wasn't like he was limited and they had to kind of panic and go back to the backup. I mean, he looked – uh, fine. Uh, he broke his clavicle, uh, clavicle a couple weeks earlier, had surgery, but was back. Um, uh, and, and Virginia Tech rolled through him. I mean, it never felt, uh, I mean, look, they were one score away in the second half of making it a game, but it never felt like uh, Duke was in it uh, from the get-go. And th- that was kind of surprising to me that uh, defense um, was good early, uh, you know, set the tone, I thought, uh, with a couple of tackles for losses early. Uh, and the offense, obviously, under Ryan Willis got rolling early as well. Um, and then, really, Duke never had sort of that pushback, never kind of came out in the second half and, and, and tested Virginia Tech. I guess the biggest kind of uh, surprise or thought was just that, look, 60 minutes and Virginia Tech looked as good as they had, uh, you know, three weeks earlier when they didn't have a loss on their record. Yeah, it's exactly right. And, uh, you know, the defense was night and day. Uh, the, the corners were good. Um, I mean, I think it helped to have the Di- Divine Diablo back in that mix. He is a big body, um, and just his presence, I think, was important. Uh, even though he didn't have, I think he had six tackles. He didn't do, you know, he wasn't all over the field or anything. But I think that that helps uh, that rest of that group because he just he was like an NFL body in there. Um, Ladler had a better game. He was back to his normal position where he's sort of up closer to the line of scrimmage. You know, ODU didn't even have any plays near the line of scrimmage. It was all downfield with those guys. And I I, I was curious, we talked about this on the little video that we did uh, after the game, why didn't Duke throw the ball deep more? I don't don't understand why they didn't just go right after. Maybe they outsmarted themselves, you know, thinking, well, we can't just do exactly what ODU did. That's what they're going to expect. Well, why not at least try it? <laughs> you know, yeah, they went. Works. Yeah, three times early in the game. Uh, two of them were almost just drops. I mean, the receivers had the balls in their hands uh, and just couldn't come down with it. Uh, one kind of the guy fell hard on the field and just dropped it. Uh, but then they didn't go back to it at all in the second half. I don't really, really remember a, an attempt that was in the air more than you know twenty yards in that second half. That they just didn't do it. Uh, their long of the game was thirty-one yards, um, and that was you know what, I think they had three plays total over twenty. And that was after, I think, it was 13 the previous week. for, And that's been the problem for Virginia Tech's defense all season. Even when they were playing well, they were allowing a lot of plays, explosive plays, and it was kind of driving this coaching staff nuts. Uh, that didn't happen, and I think that was kind of the biggest uh, win for the defense is that you know they were able to, li- to limit those for the first time all season. The other was that uh, they forced a turnover. Duke hadn't had an interception all season. Um, they had one early, and then they almost forced a fumble. It was overturned on replay. Um, but so that was a big deal. Uh, you know, they didn't force any against Old Dominion. Uh, and this defense kind of, I, I think, thrives off that energy. And they, that interception, a uh, tipped ball that went into Reggie Floyd's hands, uh, and he got defensive back of the week honors in the ACC. 
um, uh, I, I thought was kind of a turning point early in the game that gave this team a lot of energy. What was the bigger surprise for you, the way the offense played or the defense played? Definitely defense, but going back to the turnover thing, I think that's one of those things that sort of reverts to the mean over time. I mean, the battle yeah. at Bristol, the Hokies put the ball on the ground like six or seven times, and Fuente was beside himself with anger over this. But you kind of felt like they weren't that bad. You know, that was going to come down. You knew Duke was eventually going to throw a pick. It wasn't going to go the whole season without I interceptions. So sometimes those can be little things in the handicapping of a game that you don't really think about or look at going into it, but you realize afterwards, yeah, that's going to go kind of towards the mean. But, yeah, uh, definitely the defense was a bigger surprise for me because I, I just felt like they were going to get tested again, and I, I felt like their confidence would be in the, in the toilet based on what happened against ODU. Uh, but we talked to those players today. We're, t we're recording this on Tuesday. Um, and they said, hey, look, we all took it as a personal affront to our secondary that we had to come out there and prove that we are who we say we are. We're BBU. We're all this. Um, and so they, they took it as a challenge and, and certainly played like it. Um, offensively, on the other side, though, I mean, Ryan Willis, I don't think we were surprised necessarily by his performance, but he did look very good. I guess I was surprised with the offense that uh, they had so much – confidence in him and you know they, they said they weren't going to change up much in a week but they did kind of change it up they really uh put the ball in his hands and tested uh downfield and took advantage of his arm strength I mean, they went deep they almost had a 50 yarder kind of early uh, uh third downs all six of their conversions were on throws uh they were six of 16 and all of them were ryan willis uh, completions uh, and just the confidence they showed him when the moment got uh big and there was pressure they said, throw the ball. And I, and I thought that was interesting just to say in one week's time, you lose your starter, but you go to, the, to Willis and you have that much confidence in what he's able to do and, and his skill set. Um, and, you know, there are probably some Kansas fans, I mean, they've been getting pummeled all year, uh, <laughs> just sort of scratch their heads that this guy uh, couldn't win a game at Kansas. They let him go freely, didn't, didn't care that he was leaving, wanted to go in a different direction. And, uh, you know, Virginia Tech now – uh, at least for a week, he's quarterback of the week in the ACC, um, and they're kind of riding high. It's interesting to me, um, uh, just, you know, he's very calm, collected, said he wasn't nervous. But this is a big moment for the kid. I mean, really, uh, you know, came in here as a walk-on, now has a scholarship. But uh, to have that moment and to be in that sort of spotlight, uh, I was just surprised with how – uh, look, it didn't look like – it looked like that was his fifth start of the season, really. Yeah, I mean, he's got a pro body. He's a big guy, what, 6'4", 230, something in that range. Uh, he's He's got some mobility. He's not a statue back there. He got, he's got the ability to move the pocket and do things uh, on the run, and he's got that quick release that just really impresses me. I mean, I, it's just the efficiency mm -hmm. of the way he throws the ball. I'm no scout. I don't, even, I don't pretend to be one, but I do – get impressed with physical tools that I just would never have. Like I, I, right. I'd never be able to just throw off my back foot and zing a ball, you know, 40 yards downfield. And he says after the game, I asked him, where does that come from? And uh, who taught you how to throw like that? And he says, well, it's kind of God-given. I've had a lot of great coaches over my life, but, but just the ability, the arm strength uh, was something he came out of the womb with. And uh, Virginia Tech is – really happy to have it and <laughs> i know fuente i mean it's probably like a new toy for him to have that kind of arm strength at his disposal right now yeah and it did you know one thing surprising was that w even with the deep threat it didn't really open up i'm trying to look up what the exact numbers were it didn't really open up the run game for um 
Uh, and, you know, we've kind of been back and forth on this run game. I mean, look, they stuck with it. They ran the ball 41 times. They only had 81 yards, and that's two two yards per carry, obviously. Uh, and, you know, we, we talked about this going into the season. Would they be able to consistently run the ball? And that, you know, it was interesting that just with the threat of the deep throw, they still weren't able to kind of get, uh, you know, there was no big runs really. Uh, I'm trying to see what was the long uh this is good or radio a 14 yards and a 12 yarder that was at two two double digit runs on the on the afternoon um still stuck with it obviously wanted to show that threat uh but never could get it going and it, it, it'll be interesting when you kind of move forward here and teams scout that film and see willis's arm will things open up for the run game kind of in the coming weeks because you know you're gonna have to sell out a little bit um uh for willis to, to kind of have that coverage i mean he was lighting up the kind of man single coverage uh, looks that Duke was giving him. And David Hazelton, a guy that's been thriving. I mean, you look at kind of the numbers these receivers had. Trey Turner had a 33-yard catch. Kuma had a 36-yard catch. Hazelton, 27. Grimsley, 24. So when I mean, you kind of see these deep throws and, and, and you know, defenses are going to kind of change how they approach this offense now. And that, and I, it's going to be kind of a chess match going forward what this offense looks like because I, I think you're going to see some different – Willis is going to be tested this week. Uh, now that there's some more film on him um, in a Virginia Tech uniform. So it'll be, um, you know, how does he respond to that? And, and, and Coach Fuente talked about that on Monday. That'll be his true test, what this week is like and how he does on Saturday. Yeah, definitely. What, was he sacked at all in that game? One sack. Once. Yeah, the offensive line played well. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. That helps. You know, that helps that he um, had some time back there. To yeah, he did. Definitely did. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, he was, he was here tonight, uh, Tuesday night, when we were uh, down here at Castle Coliseum, and, you know, he says, look, I'm, I'm, he's fairly calm uh, uh, just in general. That's kind of his mentality, but you've got to imagine when he's going, getting ready to go through that tunnel, that's a way different feeling than, than Wallace Wade. And it's a way <laughs> different are you Are you questioning their commitment <laughs> to football? <laughs> look, Wallace Wade, I, I guess a couple years ago, not a nice stadium. They've redone the whole thing. Yeah, it is nice. Very nice. Uh, they had one picture that kind of encapsulated that atmosphere I think it was Keen. It was a Keen celebrating that touchdown, yep. and you saw the background, and it was literally all Hokies fans. It, it looked like a And game. so uh, that atmosphere, obviously, a little different. He talked about you know, it came through the tunnel against William & Mary here, but that was a noon kickoff and obviously a very different atmosphere. Uh, the start of that game will be a lot different. You know, Is he able to kind of keep those nerves in control? Because, look, it was quiet on Saturday. Other than the Hokies fans cheering, um, and so it, you know, will he be a little amped up? And it was interesting. Fuente said he went back and looked at the tape because he thought Willis was a little amped up early, but he said really that wasn't the case. Uh, will he be able to avoid that trap this week? Because this is a big. I mean, this was this this has been sold out uh, for for months. Well, I'm curious. This would be your first opportunity to see a real Lane Stadium Just atmosphere. Right, I mean, right. these fans they didn't get even to cheer at the ECU game that was canceled. That like you said, the William and Mary was nothing. Right. Um, they were happy to welcome the boys home from their big victory at Florida State, but that was not the kind of place where you know where you get a full taste of of what Lane Stadium can be. Uh, so that you know, that'll be cool for you uh, to see that, I'm sure. And and you know, it just yeah, Willis, I think he'll be all right, but it is just like shifting into overdrive. I mean, from from being a complete neutral from from the first few weeks here now. What does Notre Dame do well? I mean, what – because I remember watching the Miami-Notre Dame game last year, and Notre Dame was all hyped. You know, they were road favorites at Miami, and Miami just blew their doors off, okay? And, and it was like, 
oh, Notre Dame, once again, they're just overhyped. You know, everybody just believes in them because they're Notre Dame. And I kind of feel like if Virginia Tech were to pull the upset this week, we would hear the same exact thing from the national media. It, hmm. would be, it wouldn't be, oh, well, you know, look at Virginia Tech. It would be, well, uh, Notre Dame once again overrated. They yeah. lost to a team that just lost to ODU. Yeah. Um, what What is – I mean, tell me a little bit about the quarterback, a little bit about that running game that they've got. Well, I mean, you look at Notre Dame. That Look, that first three weeks of the season they were home, and they struggled to get through – all three of those games, Michigan, obviously a tough opponent, uh, struggled against Ball State. That was a one-possession game. Vanderbilt almost lost that one. But the last two weeks, they found some magic, uh, beat Wake Forest 56-27, to and beat a Stanford team that was coming off a really uh, a good win against Oregon and uh, crushed them, 38-17. to We missed the second half because we were kind of in the uh, media room, and it was a close game. We came back, and it was a complete blowout. Uh, The biggest change, obviously, at quarterback, uh, Ian Book has kind of stepped in um, and kind of, I guess, righted the ship. I mean, that wasn't that they were doing badly, but he's sort of given them that different element. I thought uh, Bud Foster kind of breaking him down (laughs) was sort of interesting. said he had game moxie. Uh, I guess I think that's probably a good thing, right? Uh, Has that it factor. Um, and so they're obviously going to be concerned about them. They're already running the ball well um, and, and, and doing some different things. But now they're putting some points on the board. Defensively, I mean, obviously only allowed 20 points once this season. Uh, you know, they're strong up front, physical. They, and, you know, they talked to uh, – Bud also talked about their offensive line being the same way. Um, so I really I think it comes down to Book, and if he's kind of able to kind of keep that going, um, it, it you know, is it going to be a long night? I, I don't really know. This game is sort of uh, – I, I, I'm almost picking a, a wrong Virginia Tech all, all season. I really don't know. You know, we're, we're going to make predictions here in a couple minutes, but I don't really have a firm grasp of how this game's going to kind of unfold. Well, I think it's it's like the question you asked Bud Foster tonight. You're yeah. like, how concerned are you that you know it's <laughs> kind of been all over the map here? Like, what there hasn't really been any consistency yet. And you know, he said, look, we knew we we're going to have some some of these growing pains. He had that line about. That was the greatest. As a parent, it could appreciate. He (laughs) said, you know, it's like the stove. And I was like, is he going there? And he's like, yeah, you tell your kids not to touch the burning stove. It's hot. And and it's hot. And then they touch the stove. They have to learn. And that, as a parent, it it is like that with kids. I don't know why they're so – they have to learn for themselves. Don't do this. And then they do it. It's like that SNL sketch uh, (laughs) with Will Ferrell where he's uh, talking with this other family and his wife. And they're just casually having a conversation outside. And then he constantly is just these outbursts of, get off the shed. <laughs> and, and it's yelling at these kids off screen. You can't see them. Uh, and he's just constantly yelling at them. It's the same kind of thing. And that's kind of what Foster was talking about, that they had to learn. And he talked about it being painful, that they had to learn that painful lesson uh, uh, themselves. Um, and they did. And But I, I still think it's interesting, and I asked Coach Fuente that as well, and um, just the idea that, how can you have the same team and in two weeks, look, you get just crushed in every aspect of the game and you come back and you look like a completely different team? Does that make you more nervous? Does that Do you have less of a handle on the team than you thought? Like, it, can you pinpoint it? And, you know, youth is obviously, I think, part of it. But uh, it's it just such extremes that what do you expect that next week? And, and I don't know. Yeah, it's really hard to say. And one, one thing we should uh, mention here, um, Halshan Gaines uh, tweeted – today on Tuesday that he had, his mother has passed away. Uh, certainly condolences uh, f- to his family. 
Uh, we don't know what this is going to mean for him, uh, whether he's going to play or not. Uh, certainly he's got other things on his mind today. But I'm sure by Saturday people will be wondering whether he's in there. He's been very good for them uh, this year. I think what he had two and a half sacks in that game the other night. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when you talk about pressure on the quarterback, he's one of those guys you turn to. Yeah, and you're already lo- – you know, you've lost Trayvon Hill. Uh, Vinny Mahota's not 100%. You're already kind of in your second level, your second guys. Um, and obviously it's a tough situation, and, and nobody's rushing him back. You know, Foster said it's going to be up to him. We're not going to pressure him. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if he wants to play, obviously he could play. We hope he plays. You know, we'd be uh, glad to have him, obviously. Um, but they're not going to kind of pressure him, and it's an un- understandable approach to the situation. Uh, one of the SIDs here said that he had been going back and forth the last couple of weeks um, uh, to deal with that. Uh, he's from North Carolina. That's where his mom was in the hospital. Um, and, and that sort of, you know, y- you hate to trivialize or, 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 you know, that's bigger than football, but it will impact the game. I mean, he is their best pass rusher, and he's one of their kind of, you know, uh, Coach Foster after the game, he was the impact player for the defense. He was, and and I think it's ghoulish a lot of times for people to be like, well, this is what his mother would want him to go out there and play. No, and so, yeah, but, yeah. but but in his, he, I mean, he said after this game on Saturday that coming to to play with these guys is his escape, and he, he, he really appreciates the fact that he has that opportunity. Caleb Farley was in here, and he said, you know, I can't wait to see him today and give him a hug. You know, whenever I get a chance to see him, we're, we're going to be hugging each other. Um, and he said it, he used the word swallowed up yeah, in a different yeah. – and, and being at, at Lane with all the fans, right. and he said it's kind of uh, – you know, at, du- at Duke, he just sort of lost himself for three hours. You right. know, he, was, he wasn't thinking about that. And, you know, there's a lot of instances where athletes, you know, Brett Favre famously in that Monday night game, his dad passed away and he played. And, you know, everybody handles those things different internally and you don't really know what his family wants. They could want him there. Uh, Arrangements haven't been made. Uh, There's an obituary online. Um, So you don't really know what his family's going through, too. Um, It just adds an uncertainty uh, because this defense, and he's one of the leaders, too, uh, on a young defense. Now you're talking about, with Hill gone, and if Gaines doesn't play, I mean, that's only two players that were starters last year that are even going to be uh, pl- available Saturday if Gaines doesn't play. Um, and so that's just a lot of turnover for a defense, um, especially a young defense that really looks to him as a guy that, uh, you know, uh, as an emotional kind of leader. Uh, even, I mean, he's a junior, but he's, he's kind of the leader, one of the leaders with Ricky Walker on this defense. Yeah, he certainly is. All right, should we get to our predictions? I guess. I don't really know. I, I still <laughs> don't know. Said so we have no well, you, clue. I mean, you get kudos. You predicted uh, the Duke game correctly. Yeah, I think I said 37-31 or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, I expected more points from both both sides. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just kind of kind of had faith in this coaching staff. That they, what are they now, 8-1 and one after a loss yeah. under Fuente? Yeah. Um, so now they're not after a loss. So they're not as much of a lock anymore. <laughs> Uh, they're six and a half point underdogs. I think that's good for them. Yeah, like they, I think they like that underdog role. There's no pressure going into this because no. nobody's nobody's picking them. Could really you imagine though if they were five and zero oh, and what the, what this scene would be like? I'm sure it's gonna be ridiculous anyway. But you you, you think game day would be here if they were both five and zero? Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I don't think there's any question with uh, Notre Dame. Um, yeah, you know, coming in, um, and it, they they ended up picking the uh, the uh, Oklahoma Texas game. Um, and they waited a long time to do it. If you say we're going to do an ACC game at some point, you got to look at that Miami Tech game, right? Because the Atlantic side doesn't look like it's going to be much of a, you know, contest anywhere. Uh, so if you're going to do one ACC game, you're going to do the one late in the season uh, between Tech and, and Miami. 
Uh, so maybe they're just keeping that in the holster, you know. Yeah. Like we don't want to come to Virginia Tech twice. But um, I'll, all right, I guess I'll go first. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna predict Notre Dame to win this game. I'm gonna protect the Hokies to cover the spread, and that's the hedging a little bit. So <laughs> a little bit. Uh, let's say something in the neighborhood of thirty to twenty six. Thirty to twenty six. Something like that. Where uh, I mean, I feel I feel like we're gonna be highly entertained. I feel like we're gonna be sweating bullets on deadline, wanting to kill ourselves at, at uh, you know, because we can't <laughs> can't call the can't game call one the game. way or the other until it's over. I, I, uh, I, it's like fifty fifty for me. I don't know what to do. I've been wrong. I think almost every time this year with Virginia Tech, uh, except really like the opener of William and Mary, uh, didn't predict that ECU that Hurricane won. I didn't get that one right. <laughs> didn't get didn't get the old Dominion game it's right, hard. obviously. Uh, didn't get Duke. Um, I, you know, it's like one, I think I, I have the same feeling with the Florida State game, I, where I just feel like they're going to win it, uh, even though I could easily see Notre Dame winning by a couple of touchdowns. Um, see, I don't see Notre Dame really running away with this one, but may, maybe. But I mean, they <laughs> ran could. away with Stanford. And yeah, I don't really right. see that. So. I guess we'll we'll just well you know what we'll go we'll go with the upset call here we'll go with we'll go with Virginia Tech this week, uh, uh, winning uh, at home and surprising everybody and, and it would just be fun to have they run the table here and that old Dominion game is just some sort of weird aberration that uh, happened but nobody knows why it happened and it's on your schedule but you have to sort of remember it so well we'll go with Virginia Tech let's say let's go with the same score thirty one uh, seventeen or fourteen that it was this week oh wow. Yeah. Decisive. Decisive. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. We're just going to go. We're just going like to throw it. darts because, I mean, that's really – thinking about it hasn't worked. No, right. So, <laughs> right. I mean – Actually uh, analyzing it has not right. worked. Right. So uh, – um, But you're doing a story on the oral history of the game. 2016 from game from two years ago, yes. Uh, how's that coming along? Good. Uh, talk to uh, what, 10, 10 people uh, from that game. Uh, talk to Coach Fuente. Got him a little time with him. Um, talk to some players that are no longer here. Isaiah Ford was really good. Uh, uh, talk to some players that are here and that uh, were unlikely heroes, Stephen Peoples, uh, C.J. Carroll, uh, that had a big impact, their biggest impact is still to almost to the, to the even two years later, uh, that was a big game for them. So we'll have that online hopefully today, Wednesday, when you're listening to this, you'll be able to go click on that. But uh, really interesting game. Uh, you were there. Uh, so, can, you know, and I've been, I'm talking to everybody about this and uh, – in the fourth quarter, you know, watching on TV, you kind of get a feel that that felt like a home game almost by the end of it, and Notre Dame was completely lost, and they had been up 17 twice. Is that how it kind of felt in the stadium? Yeah, it was really cool. The The game, I mean, there were low-hanging clouds over the stadium, and it was it felt like a Big Ten Sunday, you know, <laughs> yeah. Saturday. You know, it just felt like, uh, felt like football. I got a, my, my Facebook photo is me posing in front of touchdown jesus in a big heavy jacket snow flurries and everything i mean it's just it was really cool but i remember at the end of the game they let us go down and we were in the student section the notre dame student section Mm -hmm. and tech had a couple of sacks and of course it was all cursing and anger and and where we were standing (laughs) but the, the the traveling tech fans that were there made so much noise it was it was ridiculous and i don't think the people that were still in the press box could actually hear it because it was underneath the press box but we were on the opposite side of the field so anyway after the game i'll, I'll never forget just sort of watching fuente just sit there and look at the look at the fans that made the trip 
and just sort of kind of taking it all in and understanding where you are, like this hallowed ground of college football. And the way I ended the column was I followed him through the tunnel. And as he goes through the tunnel, like he, there's this like this slope that goes up, and you can hear the, the his players off in the distance, like cheering, and you know they've just won this big game, and he he walks to the top of the ramp, and there's touchdown Jesus, just bathing him in light. You know it's all lit up at yeah, night, yeah, yeah. and it was just you know that's kind of the way that place feels. It feels yeah. special. Um, you know, like we were asking some of the players today, how special is Notre Dame now to this generation? And maybe it's probably not the same right. as it was for other kids. And they're all like, well, we're 1 0 against everybody, so nobody's any different. But still, I think being there made that a That was huge the difference. difference. And that's what yeah. players have said looking back. You know, it was a weird time in the schedule, and they had other things kind of uh, to look forward to. But when they got there, it was totally different. Like, you saw the history, you got the tradition, um, and, um, you know, it. In that moment, they felt it, but, you know, kind of going into it, they didn't have that idea. And, you know, it would make sense if you've never been there or never uh, kind of been on that campus or that stadium, then you don't know it and you don't kind of have the feel for it. But looking back on it now, they all say, you know, that's one of the mem- you know, standout memories of my career. All right, Mike, as we do every week, we'll do our pick three. You go first. Yeah, um, another movie. Uh, I did see Predator. Uh, it was terrible, so that one did not work out. Really? Uh, I mean, oh, it was really bad. It was really, really bad. Um, uh, the Coming out this weekend, uh, Bad Times at El Royale. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the previews. It has John, John Hamm, Jeff Bridges, Chris Hemsworth. Uh, it was made by the guy that did uh, Cabin in the Woods. I don't know if you saw that one. It had a big twist in it. Uh, I think I saw it. It was it was pretty good, interesting, uh, different, and I like all the people involved in this, so I'm kind of interested. Looks like it has a kind of a fun tone. Okay. And it, it cause, you know, it's sort of the uh, hotel on the border of I think it's Vegas and somewhere else, or uh, uh, Nevada and somewhere else. Uh, so it looks interesting. So hopefully that one's better than the Predator, which I was not good. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, you were disappointed by that movie. <laughs> um, my first one is Waffle House. I don't know why it's not called Hash Brown House because that's really their specialty. It's well, it's there's Huddle House too. So there's a Huddle House. Maybe that's um, too close. You know, we we went there. Tommy and I went there uh, in Durham, and we were waited on by a nice lady named Messy Jessie. Messy Jessie. She signed it. She signed our check, Messy Jessie, and she was a little messy. And she, I said, "Well, you must be kindred spirits." <laughs> but no, it was a good breakfast. Uh, that's <laughs> that's my number one. You can <laughs> see I'm really prepared for this. This is really prepared. Uh, mine. Uh, so this month and kind of beginning of November. My three favorite uh, authors, uh, Michael Conley, John Sanford, and Lee Child, all have new books. They all have their ro- their rotation, their release schedule is all in the fall. Uh, so in the next here four weeks, I'll have three new books to read. Um, Michael Conley does um, uh, Harry Bosch novels. His is his main character, which is now a show on Amazon, um, and very good. Lee Child does Jack Reacher, and uh, uh, enjoy him. And John Sanford has a couple of different characters, but. All mystery thrillers, uh, all three of the best, New York Times bestsellers, um, not anything off the beaten path. Um, so that's my number two. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll go books too. Th- you know, <laughs> I've, been, I've talked about the simplicity thing. I got a book called, uh, what is it called? Uh, I don't know. Graceful Simplicity by some guy who was into government or something. Mm-hmm. It's a little heavy. I don't know. I also got a <laughs> Dave Barry book. And, I, you know, those Dave Barry compilation books where he just, you know, all of his columns, those hold up so great. Those are the <laughs> ones from the 80s. Like, of course, I'm a child of the 80s, you know, so, like, I, I, it's funny to me, but, like, he just, 
Everybody loves Dave Barry, right? Is there anybody who doesn't like Dave Barry? Like, yeah. just go to your library, get one out, and you're, all of a sudden you're smiling. You know, you're, you've all these heavy books you've been reading, this Hemingway crap. Go get yourself some Dave Barry and make yourself feel better. Uh, my third one in, uh, is sort of just uh, – <laughs> so we have th- now – this is a primetime game. Uh, next week's going to be a primetime game. Last week was a pr- – so four or five primetime games – um, great probably for the television audience, uh, a challenge for journalists. I'm curious, and if readers would like to give feedback, how much do they read at night right after the game? How much are they reading in the morning? Because, um, you know, you kind of go back and forth when it's like midnight and you're just starting to sit down and write because you just got done with interviews. Are fans reading? Uh, I'm curious because we've had these string of prime time, and I think we're going to have more this season with Miami, uh, a couple of other games. Uh, just curious, we've got, uh, you know, because this was almost a college game. This is going to be on ABC. This is the primetime game this week. Uh, but we're going to have another one in North Carolina. Just curious what fans think about them, uh, your feedback, just for how we kind of approach posting stories. You know, we're going to have a game story up right away. We're going to do at least one or two other things that night. But are you reading them at night? Are you waiting until the morning? What's what's What, what are you guys doing? Because those are our challenge to how much we want to get up at night, wait till the next morning, and things like that. Um, those, those are the hardest to kind of judge because – 12, 3.30, 6, even, you know, you're getting done, and you know, it's not an unreasonable time. 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock, these games aren't getting done, and you're not getting done with interviews till midnight. So right. uh, just curious to hear what people have to say. Um, it, you know, obviously a fan, it, it's drawing the biggest audience, but uh, just f- as far as we're concerned, it's just it's a challenge, and I'm curious as to what reading habits are uh, when people are reading things. Okay. Help Mike help you. Out That's right, folks. exactly. Uh my last one, I, I, I'm just going to say the NFL, I've been down on the NFL in recent years, but mm. I think it's coming back, man. I'm actually a little bit interested in these games. Some of these storylines, like you know, New England yeah. losing a couple games, I think that helps. My Ravens being in the mix, I think helps. Uh, but I'm not a Ravens fan like I'm an Oriole fan. You right. know, like I really care about the Orioles. I don't really care about the Ravens. But I, I just I think there's some storylines coming out of the NFL. For for a while there, I felt like it was just so overhyped by the national media that I was just like, it's not delivering on the promise everyone says it has. ESPN yeah. and Fox and everyone. But right now, I think it's delivering pretty good good quality well, product. I know only CBS. I saw a tweet that uh, ratings are up about five percent this yeah. year. Um, and, you know, it's so funny that some people are talking about, you know, it's cyclical that it, it has more to probably to do with the quarterbacks than anything else. Like right. after Manning left and, and a couple of the other guys kind of retired, that there was kind of a lull and that so people weren't that they, they sort of drive the interest. And now you got Jared Goff, you got Adam Holmes, you got a lot of these young guys uh, that are, are pretty exciting. Johnny, or not John, Johnny football up. <laughs> Johnny Baker, Baker Mayfield, K- uh, CFL similar, maybe. Similar uh, Baker guys, Mayfield though, he's had he's uh, come out of the gate uh, firing. Mitch Trubisky had a big game for the Bears, six touchdowns that came out of nowhere. Um, but uh, you know, it's interesting just that it, it might be that it might be just the quarterbacks are driving it, and uh, now they're back. Well, you got to drop a dollar in the interesting jar because uh, I know I did it. I did no, it. I, I saw myself three you times. You know, it's I funny. I listened to one of our recent ones, and I'm doing interesting all the time. So, but you know. Saturday's going to be interesting for sure <laughs> when they play Notre Dame, and we'll be there to cover it all, and we'll have coverage leading up to that game and as, uh, after the game as well, and we'll get back together next week to break it all down. So be sure to check that out. For Mike Nizolik, this is Aaron McFarling. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>